Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo, what up? This is DJ Newmark, a.k.a. Uncle New. From Jurassic 5. And you're checking out the library with my main man, Tim Onicole, on www.rapstation.com. Profile reads that he's a producer, writer, drummer, DJ, music fan, teacher, MC, iconoclast, industry outsider, DIY by choice, jack of all trades, and masters of zero. He has a new album called Fish and Grits. Jay Zone, welcome back to the library with Tim and Cal on rapstation.com. Yes, glad to be here. Thank you. So, one thing I've always liked about you is that, and you do it in this new album, Fish and Grits, you're an artist that doesn't hide behind a metaphor or a reference to tell someone how you feel, you'll tell somebody straight up to go F themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you even tell, an old, you, you'll even, on this album, you say, you even call out an old, like an old school artist, like even say Dr. Dre doesn't want us to sample his beats, right? Uh, right. So you call out people and, and you don't worry about the pushback or the blowback. Why have you always taken this approach to your rhymes? And then are you ever worried that this will kind of isolate fans from you? Yes and no. I mean, it's not, I'm not attacking anybody in terms of like personally. It's just about, you know, about certain things that come up. And I just felt like that's what hip hop was always about. Like it was never personal, but, you know, just growing up listening to stuff, if, if you felt like a certain way about something, it was never like, yo, F this, F that, beef, you know, beef. I'm not that kind of an artist. Like I don't attack another artist. You know, anybody who's making music, you know, and especially legends like those. I mean, it's not, you know, to attack their craft or what they or their contributions. But sometimes it's just to raise a discussion. Right. You know, it, it's like, uh, you know, in that particular line, talking about like the same, I read the Billboard thing where certain artists said they didn't want to be sampled, but there were certain artists on the list who built a career off sampling. Now, you know, if it's like, okay, you want us to clear stuff, so that's cool. But you know, I just. I, I was just kind of taken back by that, so I just me- I just mentioned it, you know, and and it was like the Russell Simmons thing, you know, it, it's kind of like on Twitter the you know having a certain amount of money and talking about you know you should have this kind of lifestyle and, and the rush cards and everything like that, but then a lot of people who are following him 
don't have the luxury. Like I remember you said, you know, don't let money, you know, don't worry about money basically. And it's like, you know, a lot of people who follow, a lot of people who follow these artists, you know, don't have any money. So it's like, it's hard to tell somebody, you know, adapt to a vegan lifestyle. Don't let money control you. Like if you live in a neighborhood where healthy food options aren't available and you haven't been educated on proper eating and you haven't been educated on like a rush card, like you can go get a rush card because it feels like hip hop, like rush. Yeah, it's hip hop. But at the same time, a lot of these people, you know, we're not being educated in our school system about financial responsibility. We don't know about interest. We don't know about these things. So, you know, my thing is to be, you know, to be aware of, of your audience, you know, and, and, you know, you don't have to never stay stuck in your past, but don't at the same time, you can't forget where you came from. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in hip hop now are suing other artists for sampling them. But in the beginning, it was like they sampled so much. Cause I also have a connection with a lot of older musicians from the sixties and seventies being, you know, I'm into drums and stuff. So I interview a lot of these older drummers and they never got paid, you know, for being sampled. So my thing is, okay, you know, things have changed. We have clearance, you know, clearance procedures in place, um, you know, to, to go about that stuff. But, but to like to say, I don't want to be sampled. Like a lot of the people that these guys sampled, maybe they didn't want to be sampled either. So it's, it's basically just to be aware. It's not to down anybody or disrespect anybody. It's just to make this aware, like, hey, wait a minute. Are we forgetting that these artists used to sample? Are we forgetting that these artists have a following who maybe shouldn't get credit cards <laughs> because they're not responsible with credit? Or people who don't worry about money, you know, like it's it's a little insufferable to say that to people who, who follow you who are financially struggling. You know, don't let money control you. Like when you live in a mansion, you can say that, you know. So it was just, it wasn't to attack those guys and I respect all their contributions and you're still fans of them, but I believe in hip hop. That's always been the case. Like whether you're talking about the president of the United States, your local politician, or one of your heroes, if you see something that's wrong in your opinion and you want to address it, then address it. It's not always like people just think because if you're talking about another artist, it's like a diss, like a diss in the, in the manner of, okay, this is Shan versus KRS, this, or this is a uh, 50 Cent versus Ja Rule, this. I don't look at it like that. I just look at it in terms of like, hey, wait a minute. You know, it's kind of like checks and balances. You know, like, hey, wait a minute. I think, you know, I disagree and, and talk about it. And that's, to me, that's what hip hop was about. Like, hey, wait a minute. You said this, but you live like, you know, you live this. or, And, you know, that's how hip hop is. Hip hop is, as a wrestling type of thing going on where everybody likes to make it about beef or ooh or this or that or you're a hater. Or that. It's not always that. It's just like somebody said this, but then, hey, wait a minute. Before that, they did this. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, so that was that was my reason for that. How, how do you, I mean, there, there does seem like there's this huge disconnect between the older generation and the, and, and the new school generation, right? I mean, right. How, how do you, I guess, how do you continue that discussion not just on a, you know, not just on a, on wax, but also, you know, in, in the communities. Uh, I mean, is there something more personally for you or that you're trying to do to uh, help continue this discussion? Well, I mean, it's a, in, in terms of the, you're talking about in terms of the generational conflicts between yeah. old and young. Yeah. 
well, in, in terms of that, I don't like, I mean, it's a discussion that has already been had. It's, it's already been addressed, but my thing is we're beating a dead horse here. Um, and like, I purposely beat the horse dead on the album so people get sick of it. And then maybe the listener can realize how ridiculous it really is. Like I was like, I wrote an article for Ego Trip in 2013 about rap, fun, you know, accepting rap generation gap that came out three years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and the guy got a lot of feedback on it and stuff like that, you know, but it, it pretty much summed it all up. And, and that article was, you know, cause I was one of those guys, you know, like initially when you're part of the younger generation and then slowly you become middle aged and then old, you feel that shift, you know, like, you're like, damn, this ain't music. This ain't what we, but then all you have to do is look back to your childhood. Your grandparents hated your parents' music. Your parents had some beef with your music, not mine. Cause my dad was a hip-hop fan, which was kind of crazy. But <laughs> most parents in 1990 didn't like rap music. That's not music. They don't even play instruments. They sample. They call. They denigrate women. They, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, you just don't understand it. And now I don't have kids, but my peers, my age, my age group has teenage kids. So now we're in that position, and this happens with every generation. It's just that I think with hip-hop, the, the emphasis on youth is so strong, and, and, like, the emphasis of, like, old not being good and yesterday's news, like, I think that's such a part of hip-hop's DNA that automatically anything, you know, older, they, it's it's like blatant disrespect. Like, you know, like, kids you know, who were growing up in the 80s might have been like, oh, the Beatles or the Motown, that was our parents' music, but they don't, you know, they don't trash it. They're just like, ah, that's old. Like, you know, a lot of kids now are trashing, like, oh, the 90s sucked. They were overrated, yada, 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 yada. You know, but but it's like, in hip-hop, it's always, hip-hop's always rebelled against itself. Right. That's just what, that's what hip-hop is. It rebels against everything, including itself. So, when we were kids, I would say around 89, 90, when I was 12, 13, you know, junior high school or whatever. Like, we were checking for the new cane. The Afrocentric thing was starting, you know, was kicking in and going on. We were checking, you know, checking for all that stuff. And if somebody came to my middle school pumping a Spoonie G song, you know, we might be like, yo, yo what is that? Right. <laughs> you know, or we, or we play Sugar Hill Gang. Like, yeah, I remember hearing Sugar Hill. I, I didn't hear Sugar Hill Gang when I was young because I was a baby when it came out and then I was in the funk growing up, I finally heard Wrath of the Light for the first time in maybe like 88, 89. Like it just came on TV or something. And I was like, man, these guys sound like my uncles. Like they sound, <laughs> like they sound so elementary and old, but, but for someone who was 12 years old in 1979, Wrath of the Light was the shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like now that I'm older, I appreciate Spoonie G. I appreciate Cold Crush. I appreciate you know, Furious Five, I appreciate Sugar Hill, I appreciate all that stuff because now I'm older and more educated, but when I was in, you know, middle school, high school, and living my youth, it sounded like archaic, (laughs) and it just sounded dated, and it just, it didn't sound good to me, and as I got older, I understood, and I think a lot of these younger kids now, you know, I think, you know, when they become adults, they'll eventually They'll always look back to this time and re- this music, the Drakes, the Kanye's, the Futures, the, the Soldiers, the, not so, the Young Thugs, like the, that'll resonate the most. But when they're in their 40s, I don't think they're going to be looking back on 
the music from the 90s. Like, oh, that sucked. It'll just be like, okay, that was before my time. Or, you know, it's cool, whatever. But when, you know, when I see people, you know, in their 40s, visual people in their teens, I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, they, you got to understand that they, we're their parents. Yeah. So, so like, we're always going to be uncool. And I think, I think because hip hop is so young, it's never gone through this before. Like it has in smaller bits, like, you know, obviously the Spoonie G's and the Orange Juice Jones and, you know, all the early 80s stuff, you know, in the early 90s, we might have thought it was corny, but this is like a full generational remove, you know, like, I mean, our heroes are pushing 50. So I think, um, you know, it, it's like it's so far removed now, and this is the, this is like the first generational overhaul, like where the entire first wave of hip hop are all in their forties and fifties. You know, like the first, like the first, you know, hip hop is like a as a recorded music, like the first fifteen years of hip hop as a recorded music. All the recording artists are in their forties and fifties, and sometimes sixties. You know, so it's new, it's still fresh. So there's still some of that static, but I think as time goes on and hip hop just becomes an older genre of music, we'll be used to this because in 10 years from now, when they're, you know, then the next generation has their star, they're going to be like, yo, but he's no Kanye. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. and, and it's going to continue to go on and on and on, you know, as time goes on. So I just wanted to shine light on like, how ridiculous it was. And even I was, I used to be that way. And then I was like, I looked at myself, I was like, I sound ridiculous, you know, like, okay, the new stuff isn't made for me. I don't like most of it, but, but it wasn't made with me in mind. You don't have a, you know, do you think young thug is in the studio? Like, man, I gotta get these dudes who are in their late thirties to like my stuff. He's, he's, <laughs> he's not thinking about me. So, and that's okay. He shouldn't be thinking about me, you know? And, right. and, and, you know, my only thing is like, I, I was always raised to respect musicians from other gener you know, prior generations. So, but I'm a special case. I come from a family where I was reared on jazz and funk and rock and all that stuff. So I always have an appreciation and affinity for the past, like, like older music, the sixties and the seventies. And I love that stuff, you know, and I was reared like that, but your average kid wasn't reared like that. So they, they only relate to what's in their immediate grasp you know what i'm saying so i know that i'm like an asterisk in that in that regard that's the thing i mean do you think because hip-hop obviously like hip-hop is getting older um that this generation like you know you were raised like you said you were raised on funk and stuff like that do you think this generation being raised like their their influences now are, are hip-hop artists right mm -hmm. so i wonder if there's something i always wondered if there's something there to uh I mean, in terms of appreciation of music, um, or you know, because you're being part of the being part of the culture, like you said, of like we are, you know, rebel rebel against the older generation, right? So now, mm -hmm. if you're raised on music that is, if you're raised on hip hop music, and as you grow up, you're going to automatically rebel against kind of the generation before you that rapped, and then mm -hmm. be more appreciative of the generation you're the generation you're a part of that's rapping. Right. So yeah, I've always wondered if there is that kind of being that kids are raised on different type of music now, and now kids now you have a full generation of kids that are actually raised on rap music. 
versus uh, funk or blues or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there was some overlap, you know, because rap was so young when we got into it that if you go back far, far enough, there was no rap. And then eventually it morphed into disco, like groups like Cameo and, um, you know, the Gap Band, like groups that early hip-hop artists shared bills with soul groups, disco and funk and soul bands. You know, so there, there was some overlap there, but like this is purely a rap generation. Um, so so the scope of other music's a little different, and in terms of like sampling, you know, like we might have been familiar with some of the samples growing up because of our parents and everything like that. But you know, this like the new stuff isn't really re- relying on sampling as much, so it's kind of like its own sound. It's not really sourcing older material. You know, it's kind of in its own its own lane. So the scope on music historically might not be there the same way it was for us. You know, so I can I can definitely see that. Cool. I want to, of course, I want to get into the, some of the tracks on the album uh, "Fishing Grits," yeah. and uh, one of the tracks I really like is happens to be the second track on the album, uh, "Time for a Crime Rave." Right, right. Uh, where you go in on gentrification of neighborhoods, police brutality, suck, you know, sucker MCs, and I think you do a really interesting thing here is that you. You tie in what's been done to New York City neighborhoods like Brooklyn, um, or you know, of gentrification, and then kind of to what's being done in rap with gentrification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess the question is, what similar effects do you think gentrification in New York City neighborhoods uh, have had on rap? Like, what are the similar effects between gentrification of neighborhoods of New York City and also gentrification of rap music? Well, I think it was, well, if you look at New York City, even look at a neighborhood like Harlem, okay, in, in the late 1980s or the mid-1980s in the crack epidemic, a lot of the dealers were rolling around in fly cars, jewelry and clothes, but the buildings still look bombed out. Like, nobody bothered to fix up the neighborhood, nobody really bought any real estate, you know, so the money just went into... The frosting is what I call it. Like, you know, I got a car, I got a crib. I mean, like, they, you know, they would live in the projects or live in a rundown tenement and have all these cars and jewelry and clothes. And stuff. So there was never any investment in the community. And uh, eventually, you know, when New York's gentrification started, efforts started to take off in the 90s and it was prime real estate, you know, they bought this stuff at dirt cheap because it was run down. And um, eventually people were forced out. And I think the same thing happened with hip-hop to a degree. Like, you know, we, we, this music came from the inner city, you know, um, the disenfranchised, you know, youth, black and Hispanic youth, and just, you know, poor people <laughs> in the inner city. We, we invented this magical thing out of lack of resources. And, you know, as the business took off, people got hit to it, but we never really bothered to invest money back into the business. So I think a lot of people in hip-hop were getting rich in the 90s, but nobody ever said, hey, let's start a distribution company. Like, a bunch of producers get together and start a distribution company, buy up our own, you know, like, press our own music. You know, like, people didn't really get on the independent thing until people stopped giving out deals. You know, in, in the 2000s, when you had no choice. So I think in the 90s, when guys were getting money and buying cars, everybody had an imprint. Bad Boy was an imprint of Arista. You know, uh, Def Jam was, you know, Columbia or Island Music, I think, bought it eventually. 
you know, like it was always, there was never any investment. It's just like a lot of the drug dealers never bought up any of the property or any of the businesses. The artists made a lot of money and never bought up any of the, the resources. So when people who had money said, hey, wait a minute, I could come in and control this. You know, I'll start a label. I'll give the artists in advance. You know, when you're an artist and you just get an advance from a record label, like you don't have any say in, you know, the the in terms of like the ebb and flow of the music, like you have no, you know, the radio stations, right. you know, like the, the people who are, who are who programming the stuff, they don't care about integrity. They don't really care about the messages that go over the airwaves. They don't care about any of that stuff. It's like they care about making money and a lot of stuff that gets pushed, you know, is, is stuff that's destructive to the black community and all that kind of stuff, right. you know, and like the whole, in the early night, you know, the mid nineties with the gangster rap and stuff like that. But I mean, the people, you know, who were getting rich off that stuff didn't grow up listening to hip hop. They were, they were suits, <laughs> you know, and there was never like, let's pull our resources and try to take some initiative to own this stuff. It, it was kind of like, let's just be players and make money. And that's what the drug game was. Like, we're just going to make money and buy expensive flashy things. But the area you're doing drugs in, you don't even, you know, want to own the buildings or fix them up. Right. And I think, I think hip hop, the same thing happened. And then it's like, man, I'm getting pushed out of my neighborhood. Well, your, your uncles and your cousins never wanted to buy up any property or anything like that. And then in hip hop, people are talking about, oh, culture vultures and all this and this and that. Culture vultures have been there from the beginning. But as long as the artists were getting paid in the 90s, they didn't care. But then all of a sudden, like, Macklemore comes in and everybody's saying stuff about him and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're talking about the, all these different and, – and it's like nobody wanted to take initiative. Like, in the 90s, you know, if you went and tried to play some music with a message, they laughed you out of there. Like, hip-hop just had this powerful message. Like, 88, 89, 90, you had Paris, you had X-Clan, you had P.E., Boogie Down Productions and even NWA was a different approach, but it shed light on injustice. And, and rap was so powerful because you had people who weren't even living in the inner cities, you know, starting to hear this stuff like, hey, wait a minute, everything they tell me is a lie, my parents is a lie, the, the system. Like, hip-hop was just powerful shit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, out of nowhere, it just, those kind of records disappeared. And it just became about like, okay, we're going to talk about designers, you know, you have black designers making clothes like your Carl Kanai's and your April Walkers and <laughs> you have all this stuff going on and, you know, they're, they're trying to struggle and then hip hoppers want to talk about Versace and they want to talk about Ralph Lauren and they want to, you know, so it, it's just, there's always been this thing of, you know, not supporting ourselves and not investing and, and it's like going towards where all the money is the easy route to the money. I'm going to get mine. Never let us get ours. Like, let's try to make sure that hip hop is, you know, that we have our own resources, that we don't have to depend on labels. We can put the music out we want, you know, and it's like the corporations control things. And, you know, the, the prison industrial complex and all these different things, that stuff was being pushed with, with big time money. And when you have no power and you have no money, there's nothing you can do to stop that. And, and it's the same thing with, you know, things, you know, people moving into your neighborhood that don't like you, right. you know, like you have people move in and, you know, somebody might move in with a little bit of money and they walk in their dog and they're looking at you like you're a piece of shit, even though you've been there longer. 
you know, yeah. guys who who made those positive messages or, or brought that. I'm not, I'm just gonna say balance because I think all kind all kinds of hip hop has a place, but I think the balance that was in rap early on disappeared. You know, because they were like, oh, nobody wants to hear that shit. That shit don't sell no records. We're going to pop these bottles. We're going to get this style, get this money. I mean, that's what it was about in the 90s. It was just about excess. You know, it was almost like the 80s in a way in, in terms of Reaganomics. Like, that's the way it felt. Mm-hmm. And anybody talking about, oh, you're just blowing my high. Like, you know, they, they, it would always be that kind of vibe. But then when those people who were making all the money in the 90s, like, you know, when, when it started to change tide and now you have, you know, you have an Iggy, Iggy Azalea, you have a Macklemore, everybody wants to get mad at them. But I'm like, you know, nobody wanted to take initiative and let's buy up a pressing plant. <laughs> let's buy up a, you know, let, let's distribute our own part. You know, nobody wanted to pool resources who were in hip hop with good intentions. It was kind of like, let me get mine and then just keep looking for a record deal. But when the people who are handing out the deals you know, don't care about the music, it becomes just about a dollar to them. And now you're on the outside looking in and you have no power, like you're powerless. And and I think I just drew that parallel. Do, do you, I mean, do you think it's also had to do with that since hip hop was, this, this was such a new thing for everyone that people maybe just didn't think it was going to, you know, go this long? Uh, I mean, do you think that was part of it? I think, I just think hip hop was such a different animal that nobody really knew what to deal with it, how to deal with it. You know, like in terms of the early records, like sampling, you know, like the, some of those great records were just this pastiche style of production. Um, sampling, you know, sounds from here, pulling sounds from there, just collage. And it was brilliant, but nobody ever thought about copyright. So when the laws came in, that changed the way it was made. You know, like it, like the music industry wasn't ready for it. Like, how do we account for this? How do we deal with compensation? How much is too much? Like how much before I have to clear it? How much do I, I mean, hip hop changed the legal system you know, because, because of that in terms of stickers on albums and stuff like that, like censorship, like hip hop, hip hop basically shook up everything. Nobody knew how to deal with it. You know, so maybe some people thought it wasn't a worthy investment because it would, you know, because it was so controversial in so many ways that it would just implode on itself. Um, and maybe that's what was going on. But, you know, I know when I was coming up in the mid 90s, you know, I was working in a recording studio and all the artists, they would always say, yeah, we have a meeting with Electra today. We're going to bring the demo down there. And a month later, you're still waiting, haven't heard back. And I'm noticing on stretching Bobito that these guys are putting out records themselves and just on a smaller scale, but big fish, small pond mentality. And they're, they're going overseas and they're making a little bit of money. And, you know, that's what made me go that route. Cause I looked at the, the way the majors were set up. And then even as an 18 year old kid, I knew I wouldn't stand a chance, you know, doing the music that I wanted to do. Like I saw the way things were going. And I, I just, I kind of knew that. And I said, I don't think anybody really knew what, because hip hop tested the limits in so many ways from legal to censorship, you know, copyright infringement, um, so many things, you know, and, and I think, uh, I think it was kind of like this scary redheaded stepchild thing going on where it was like, damn, but, but it was also a cash cow. So a lot of people, cashed out a lot of people said let me get mine and then go find another hustle and it wasn't you know a lot of people just didn't have the music in mind Mm. you know 
that was that was just it. In in the in the the track uh, Dream Crusher, you as you just kind of you, you touched on there, but you you, you talk you, you do a com- commentary on rappers today and on career long career longevity and uh, treatment by labels. Uh, mm-hmm. So do you think an MC can get into rap thinking that he or she I mean today can get into rap thinking he or she would make a career out of it or are they absolutely go- okay. I mean yeah absolutely but yeah, I just see the thing is I worked in a high school so I was around kids all day who thought they were going to blow up you know for whatever reason because I'm nice or because I look good or because I got swag or because whatever and you know I just don't think people realize how big of a role luck plays in, in, in whether or not you succeed in the music business. And I think people, that song was also to show people that everybody's path is different in, this, in the music business and what works for you might not work for me. And the only way to find out what works for you is to fall on your face. So it's kind of like tough love. Like you got to go out to like me, like, I've always been able to like move some product independently to my audience, put out a record, limited edition, sell it out, get studio work. Touring was always pretty disastrous for me. Now everybody's always like, yo, the key is touring, touring. Cause now that records don't sell, everybody's talking about touring. Right. You, know, you got to hit the road. But nobody wants to talk about when you go out on the road and you're playing for two people every night and you're sleeping on the promoter's couch and you're eating Subway sandwiches, <laughs> trying to save money. You take I mean, I did that for years. I toured the Chipman Circuit for years, and it was just a financial mess. And it was professionally, emotionally, personally, physically, financially bad for me. I don't regret it because I learned that until things change or whatever, like I'm, and now that I'm older, I'm going to be 40 next year. So it's like, like me sleeping on a promoter's couch, playing for people, get three people getting on the bus, doing that night after night. I could make a better living working in the studio. Now, the way things are nowadays, they say, well, records don't sell. It's not about the studio. It's about being on the road, touring. Like, touring works great for some, and for others, it's disastrous. You know, so, I mean, I I just kind of was wanted to address this one-size-fits-all model that people have. Like, you got to get a SoundCloud 360. You don't know what's going to work for you, you know? Like, there are artists I know who tour all the time and they never make records. They make their living on the road and they're still touring old stuff. You know what I'm saying? They might make a song every now and again, but their stage show is their bread and butter. Me, I'm a studio guy. I crank out a lot of music. I do a lot of studio work for hire kind of stuff. I do film scoring. I make my living pressing and pressing like limited weird vinyl stuff and cassettes and oddball merch. And working behind the scenes, like my bread and butter is not the road. Now, if you say that now, to be like, oh, that's that's an outdated model. But no, it, it works for me. And and I I want to you know I I would stress to any it's really just stress to any artist like there's no one size fits all model to to whether or not you're going to succeed in this business. You got to get out here and bust your ass. You got to fall on your face. You got to get embarrassed. You got to have a whole series of defeats to understand where your time is is best invested, you know? So that's really what what that was about. You know, like the line, like there's people with, you know, people with big names making less than you. I mean, you know, sometimes the guys we're aspiring to be, we have, we're better off financially than them having a job at the mall. We'll just never know that because it's not in a rapper's best nature to disclose 
financial hardship. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so you know this this is really just to really just scared straight for artists, just to tell them what I've been through and, and my experiences and what I know. And then the only way you can learn what works for you is to go out there and trial and error. And it's a lifetime thing. You have to be committed to your art and, you know, to understand that I've been there, I quit, I came back. I mean, I've been through the whole thing and I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, and, and there's just no one size fits all model to the music business. So, so with this album, you 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 won't tour, I take it then. Well, I'm I'll probably be touring with my group. I have a group uh, with Prince Paul and Sasha Jenkins called Super Black. Right. And um, we'll be on the road for sure uh, because we have like a booking agent, and just having Prince Paul and Sasha's names tied to it is way more intrigued. Mm-hmm. And we put we play live instruments and stuff. We have a whole thing where it'll it'll enable us to tour. Like me as a solo artist, I probably have like 10 diehard fans in each city <laughs> and they'll all buy my music, but then that's not enough for a promoter to book me because 10 people in the venue, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I've just, you know, shows like, I'd say the, you know, I, the last four years of my, my touring days were just gruesome. And then, you know, I just, as I got older, it was like, you know, I mean, if the right opportunity presents itself, but I really don't have a desire to be on the road all that much, you know, I'm, I'm not really a fan of the road, but you know, with, with the group, I'll, I'll be out there, but as a solo act, I, I doubt it, you know? So, it, it, I mean, if you look at, so if you look at the, the, the other model in terms of how to make a career or money in this, in this industry, right? You have, you have, you have the artists who who has to tour, who, who creates an album or creates a mixtape just to keep buzz. Right. And then mm-hmm. goes out on tour and makes money. Um, so, so for you, I guess the, the question for me is, so, so why do you make albums? I make albums because I love to, I just love to make music. That's I, like, when the album's done like that, I just, to me, it's expression. And I like to make, you know, me, I always like to ride around listening to music in the car or go work out and listen to music. And I, I make music with people to enjoy. Like, I'm not sitting here. I mean, when I was younger, it was like, okay, we're going to tour. We're going to do this promotional campaign. We're going to do this, this, that. I would have, like, a concrete path for the album. And now that I'm older, like, I have income streams. Like, I, I do multiple things to pay my bills. Like, I do so many different things, like, musical, non-musical. I mean, I'm all over the place. You know, in terms of trying to make a living. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm not opposed to it, but, you know, touring in my world was you go play for three people, sleep on a promoter's couch, get on the Greyhound, try to spend less than $10 a day in food, do it in the next city and do that for two weeks. Come home 15 pounds lighter, you know, with, you know, two weeks you're gone, maybe you got a grand in your pocket. Right, right. Or a little less than a grand, you know, probably usually less. <laughs> and you know, and you're tired or you're exhausted, and, and it's like, you know, I could learn how to play a new instrument, or I could, you know, start gigging out with bands, working on my on my drum chops, or work on you know licensing for television. Like they're always hitting me up, like, hey, I need a, a sample free thing for this sync. It pays X amount. I could go into the studio and and draft out stuff and work on that all day and do work for hire. That makes more sense than, you know 
let me do a, a tour for the album when I have a very niche audience. Right. Like, I don't have enough of an audience to, to headline a tour. And when I opened up for other acts, my stuff is kind of like, you know, you love it or you hate it. But, I've you know, opening up for other acts, I've never had a good feedback. Yeah. <laughs> it was always like, you know, this is not, we don't like this. You know, but whenever I headlined, it was good, but there was 10, 15 people in there. And the promoter's like, yo, we love you, but I'm tired of losing my shirt. <laughs> like, I was no promoter's like, yo, you give a great show, you have a good time. We all love it, but, you know, we can't afford to bring you because we're not making any money. Like, these things aren't, you know, it's a good show, it's a good time, but nobody's showing up. So, you know, for me, I make my music so people can enjoy it. And then, you know, and, and I keep moving. Like, that's what I do, you know. Oh, a wonderful thing you do in this album is that you, you, you balance it between tracks that you rhyme on, but also tracks that are just instrumental. Right. Um, so when you do make beats, um, obviously when we hear you, have when you have words it's for 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 joe Schmo like me it's easy to understand what message you're trying to convey mm -hmm. uh but when you make a straight beat uh you know it's harder to understand if you're making a message are you trying to make messages when you make beats and and if you are what is the purpose of a track uh, like what's the purpose behind the track such as uh stick up well stick i mean like i i have so many influences i'm inspired by so many things that they all just come out of my music. I'm extremely open-minded. Like, I'm not like, yeah, it's all about boom-bap, purest New York, or I'm all about West Coast shit, or I'm all about this, I'm all about trap. Like, I mean, you go, you go, go to my iPod, and I got Poison Clan, Max Roach, I'm <laughs> looking at, like, Random Funk 45, Ice Cube, X-Clan. I'm looking, I'm looking at everything, Moni Love. Like, I'm looking at what's on my iPod. Like, I just ran the gamut. There's Jimi Hendrix, you know, uh, little the rascals. <laughs> you know, like I'm looking through what's on my on my iPod, and like I'm just inspired by so much that I don't feel. You know, I, this time around, I was like, I just want to let everything that inspires me come out in my music. I don't want to just make a linear concept album. I, don't, I just want to do stuff. So something like Stick Up, that's my ode to like the meters or Cool in the Gang or you know, random Funk 45s in 1969 where there's only 500, 500 of them in existence. Like, that's my ode to that. It's not like I'm trying to convey a message. It's just like, I love late 60s funk. So let's cut a record like that because that's part of my personality. Like, it's, you know, I didn't really want to do another concept album like I did with Peter Pan. I wanted to just show like, okay, basically giving you a taste of what's in my iTunes, like what all the kind of crazy stuff that inspires me, like, you know, Project Pat and the meters are both in my iTunes. So, you know, they're all going to come out in my music. So I just said, let me just show how, show my range as a musician. That's what that was. It, doing stuff like this, I mean, this, it, you, you talk about it in the, uh, the documentary, Adele Rappers, but, you know, when you walked away, on stage once you said because you weren't having fun anymore uh so doing something like this this kind of ensures how how important is it for you to do something like this to keep ensuring that you're having fun creating these records well that, that's everything like i said i'm not sitting up here doing a big promotional campaign i'm not i'm not going to do the fish and grits world tour all i have is the music for people to enjoy 
and it has to bring me joy for me to do it. Otherwise, I, I could, you know, make a living in another way. Hmm. You know, I would just do work for hire all day long <laughs> and just try to do that. So for me to do a record like this, like invest my own money, like I had to spend money to get it pressed up. Obviously, I probably won't make much money off it, you know, break even, make a couple of bucks. But like I said, I didn't do it to get rich. You know, I just, I love making music and I like for, you know, I like to get, you know, get on Twitter. Yo, this album is joined it. I'm sitting here at the gym pumping iron. I got your music on it. Yo, we're, you know, I'm on tour with my band and we're in the band and we're listening to this. Or, you know, I'm studying how, you know, how did you get your drum set to sound like that? Or, you know, I like how you're like kind of lampooning this and this and that. Just to like, to, you know, I enjoy doing it and I like to see people get a kick out of it. Like, I don't have like a, business model beyond okay here's a little video to show you how i did it i don't i don't particularly care for music videos so i'm like all right let me do a video behind the scenes show you what my process is like fill you in on a little bit of what the album's about here boom here's the music enjoy it you know like and, and a lot of people are like why what's the point of doing that but to me i love to do it i just like to make music you know express myself it's, it's therapeutic for me you know, I, I get a rush on just making a song. That's simple enough for me. It doesn't have to be used in a movie. It doesn't have to be performed in front of five million people. <laughs> I make music just because I love to make music. That's that's all there is to it. Is there a track on the on this album, Fishing Grits, that um, best kind of represents where you're at in your, I guess, in your music career or in your personal career? I'd probably say something like funky, like an instrumental, because like rapping to me is like, I enjoy rapping, but I enjoy like putting, I like playing drums and putting stuff together. I love old funk stuff. And that's really what I want to eventually do. Just, I'd like to be in a band doing like meters, like a Cool in the Gang, early Cool in the Gang cover band or a James Brown cover band. You know, like, I just enjoy that more than anything. Like, the rapping is just my therapy. You get stuff all like, you I'm watching the news today and this, or, you know, I'm looking at this on Twitter. You, you know, uh, this kind of irks me, like you were talking about at the beginning of the interview. Like, yo, wait a minute. Like, I like this guy, but he says this. Wait a minute. You know, I got to check him on it. You know, not, you know, just bring, address, like, why there's some hypocrisy here. There's something that's funny about this. Why is it this way? That's what that's for and to just entertain people and, and tell stories I mean I, I love that but my thing is just you know I like funk like that's my first love so that you know anything while I'm making something funky I, I like making instrumentals better personally like that's just more my lane um more my style J-Zone new album Fish and Grits uh, a great album uh Jason, thank you so much for joining me on the library with Tim Line and Kel on rapstation.com. Yes, sir.
seem so cold-blooded. Just plain funky. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.